I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. I've um, recently just about finished work on what will be quite a large anthology of Russian short stories for Penguin Classics, 19th and 20th century. And um, whereas the 20th century um, section will contain a, a lot of writers who are hardly known at all in the West and um, quite a few of them aren't much known even in Russia, and several of them were new to me before I started work on this. Um, the 19th century section is practically all pretty obvious choices. Um, it didn't seem possible to improve on Pushkin's the Queen of Spades or Gogol's Greatcoat as obvious choices. Um, but really, the one 19th century writer who um, I've given a lot of space to, who many of you may not know, is Nikolai Lyaskov, um, who I certainly think is a very, very great writer. Um, there are probably quite a few reasons why he's less known than, say, Turgenev, um, I mean, Turgenev had lots of Western friends for a start, which obviously helped. Um, Leskov is quite hard to get hold of. You can't easily, I have to constantly, I have to look at my introduction, for instance, to remember his ancestry. Um, his maternal grandfather was an impoverished gentleman who married a merchant's daughter. His father although technically ennobled as a result of promotion in government service, came from a line of village priests, and priests are quite lowly characters in 19th century Russia. And his father was dismissed from his administrative post after conflict with the provincial governor, and went to the country to form a very small estate. Um, so in a very, very class-segregated society, Leskov, is, you know, his ancestry is terribly complex. Um, he really he didn't get to know the peasants as a kind of point of ideological duty like Tolstoy did um, he was brought up among them he really did know every class of that country um, he worked as an estate manager for several years 
um, and travelled an enormous amount about the whole of European Russia. Um, he knows the life of the church very, very well indeed. Um, he and Chekhov are actually the two 19th century writers who really know about the Orthodox Church more than Dostoevsky even. Um, Lyskov wrote quite, wrote quite a lot about the old believers. Um, this tremendously important, um, I mean, I think around the turn of the 19th, 20th centuries, it was about a fifth of the population who had um, actually been anathematized by the Orthodox Church because they had refused to accept religious reforms in the 17th century. Um, Liskov really knew all of these worlds. Um, his politics was always kind of shifting. You can't pinhole him as a radical or as a religious authoritarian or anything. He seemed to quite often change his mind and alienate everybody in the process. Um, he often, people who sort of glance at him very casually, sometimes imagine that he's sort of anti-Semitic and xenophobic, um, which is totally ludicrous. But you know, there are quite a lot of characters in his work who are these things, and um, Liskov has been ridiculously sometimes identified with them. Um, actually, he's extraordinarily open to Western ideas. He knows much more about. Um, the British, you know, he had an uncle, he had an um, uncle by marriage who was English, and um, Liskov actually knows quite a lot about the loge, about English Protestantism, through all that. He wrote a vast amount, and not all of equal qualities, journalism, um, long novels, a lot of charming short stories. Um, Quite a lot of his work is very, very difficult to translate, much more so than Turgenev, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky. Um, really dense with wordplay, um, kind of characters coming out with um, most wonderful malapropisms. Um, we actually chose, I mean, um, when I was discussing the idea of doing Liskov with Alex Galencia at Hesperus, um, we eventually settled on Lady Macbeth, partly because you know, the title is known to some people because of Shostakovich. And um, it is a very accessible work, and I didn't, I had other projects on the go at the time, and I didn't feel up to sort of spending three years struggling with impossible puns in some of the other works. And Lady Macbeth is, although the language is complex enough and there's, you know, the registry, the register of the language varies quite a lot from sort of folk poetry to pseudo-folk poetry to straightforward to talk of the merchant classes and so on. Um, but it's not got a lot of puns in it. It does have an operatic quality. It's a kind of story in black and white um, and it's so dramatic it's very easy to imagine it appealing to someone who wants to write an opera 
So I'm going to read just a tiny bit from the very beginning. So this quite strong, sensual, vital woman called Katerina Lvovna um, has been married to a rather dreary, considerably older merchant. He's a little over 50. And most of the time she's just left at home in this kind of rich but sterile home. Um, and Liskov really hammers away at her boredom. She would walk about the empty rooms, start to yawn from boredom, and climb the stairs to the conjugal bedroom, which was in a high-ceilinged attic. There she would sit for a while, gazing out at the barns, where hemp was being weighed or flour being poured into sacks. She would start yawning again and be glad to doze off for an hour or two. But she would wake to that same Russian boredom, the boredom of a merchant house, a boredom so profound that, as people say, it makes even the thought of hanging yourself seem like fun. And Katerina Lvovna had no love of reading. In any case apart from the lives of the Holy Fathers, there were no books in the house. Yes, it was a boring life that Katerina Lvovna had been living in her father-in-law's prosperous house for five long years with a husband who showed her little affection. But as often happens, no one was in the least concerned by this boredom of hers. After a while, there's a crisis... Um, when a dam breaks in one of their estates, and so both husband and father-in-law have to completely leave the house for a week or so. And um, there's this young steward, the same age as Katerina, who um, starts trying to seduce her. And this steward, Siergei, um, is wonderfully eloquent. So he too starts to complain about boredom to her. She says, why don't you marry? That's easier said than done, he replies. Who could I marry? I'm a nobody. What girl from a well-to-do family would marry someone like me? And as for the poorer girls... Well, Katrina Lvovna, as you know yourself, they're lacking in culture. What understanding of love can they ever have? There's little enough of that, as you know only too well, even among the wealthier folk. Take your own self, if you don't mind my saying so. To any man who has feelings, you'd bring nothing but joy. But here you are, cooped up in a cage like a canary. Yes, I'm bored, Katrina Lvovna couldn't help but say. How could you not be bored, ma'am, living the life you lead? Even if you did, as it were, have an admirer, the way most women do, when would you ever get a chance to see him? No, you shouldn't say things like that. If I could only have a little baby, then I think I'd be happy. But, ma'am, if you don't mind my saying so, a baby doesn't just come out of nowhere. I've lived long enough, you know, among merchants. Do you think I haven't seen what life's like for their wives? 
you know the song. If you have no sweetheart, Tosca fills your heart. And this melancholy, let me tell you, Katerina Lvovna, lies so heavy on this heart of mine that I'd gladly take out my steel knife and cut out my poor heart and throw it down by your little feet. Yes, I'd feel that way. I'd feel better that way, a hundred times better. Sergei's voice had begun to tremble. What are you telling me all this about your heart for? What's it got to do with me? Go away. No, ma'am, please, said Sergei, quivering all over as he took a step towards Katerina Vovna. I know it. I can see it. I can even feel and understand very well that your lot in this life is no easier than mine. Only now, he went on without drawing breath, now at this very moment everything lies in your hands, everything lies in your power. So his language throughout this scene in the next chapter is quite wonderful and he has these astonishing gifts like, you know, there he is completely overwhelming her with his words and suddenly saying everything lies in your hands, everything lies in your power. So he's able to both be extremely powerful and pretend that, you know, flatter her with the idea that she's the one with the power. So, um, I go to bed, another week passes by. Um, Sergei gets caught eventually by the father-in-law. Sorry, I forgot to say that the father-in-law did come home. The husband is still away, but the father-in-law has come home. And he um, catches Sergei and um, whips him for a very long time. And um, as a result, he gets poisoned with mushrooms by Katerina. In fact, he actually gets given rat poison by Katerina with the mushrooms, but the official story is that it's the mushrooms. And so um, she and Sergei are on their own for a while, apart from the kind of servants who don't really count. Um, and then the chapter I love above all um, this is this astonishing mixture of sort of lyrical descriptions of the beauty of the apple orchard, um, rather vivid descriptions of animals, um, and very, very kind of psychologically acute um, dialogue between the two of them, and. Um, which is, in a way, very, very funny. And this is the scene I want to read most from. So it's a very, very hot afternoon. Um, they're both of them having a nap upstairs. And she thinks she wakes up. She's actually still dreaming and finds herself stroking a cat. 
The cat was pushing itself between her and Sergei, a splendid grey tomcat, as big as they come, and with whiskers like a country tax collector. <laughs> Katerina Vovna ran her fingers through his fluffy fur, and he pressed up against her, pushed his blunt little face into her springy breasts, and all the time went on singing his quiet little song, as if he were telling a tale of love. How did this giant of a cat get in here? wondered Katrina Lvovna. And the cream's still on the windowsill. The rascal's going to gobble it all up. I must chase him out. She tried to seize hold of the cat and throw him out, but he slipped through her fingers like a breath of mist. Where on earth has this cat come from? Katrina Lvovna asked herself in her nightmare. No cat's ever got in here before, and just look at the size of this one. She tried to seize hold of the cat again, and once again the cat wasn't there. What's happening? Once and for all, is this a cat or isn't it? thought Katrina Lvovna. Panic gripped her, jolting her awake and driving her nightmare away. She looked round her bedroom. There was no cat at all, only her handsome Sergei, his powerful arm pressing her breasts to his hot face. So she goes down to the orchard to have tea and um, talks to Axinia, the cook. What do you think it all means, Axinia? she asked. What does what mean, ma'am? I wasn't asleep. I'm sure I was wide awake and a cat got in and started rubbing itself against me. What are you talking about? It's true, a cat got in. So she asks the cook the meaning of this dream. In the course of this conversation, she mentions that she was dreaming about the moon, and then there was this cat. And the cook says the moon means a little one. And Axenia obviously wants to be taken into Katrina Lvovna's confidence. So she suggests sending for Sergei. So Sergei comes down and she tells Sergei about the cat. Sergei is not very interested. So the conversation changes. So you were pining for me, were you, Siryosha? Siryosha is the same as Sergei. How could I help pining? How did you pine for me? Tell me what it was like. How can I? How can I say what it is to pine? I longed for you. But why didn't I sense you were longing for me? They say women sense things like that. Sergei said nothing. And why were you always singing? Katerina went on, still caressing him. If you were so unhappy without me? Well, it was you I used to hear singing outside the barn, wasn't it? So what if I was singing? A mosquito sings all through its life, but that doesn't mean it's happy, Sergei replied dryly. There was a pause. Sergei's confessions had been music 
to Katerina Lvovna's ears. She wanted to keep on talking, but Sergei frowned and said nothing. Look, Sergei, isn't this paradise, simply paradise? Katerina Lvovna exclaimed, looking up through branches thick with apple. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. blossom at a clear pale blue sky and a lovely full moon. The light of the moon, filtering through the leaves and flowers of the apple trees, was playing over Katerina Lvovna's supine form, casting the most fantastical bright spots over her face and the whole of her body. The air was still, only the lightest of warm breezes ruffled the sleepy leaves, diffusing a delicate scent of flowering grasses and trees instilling languor and indolence and conjuring up dark desires. Getting no answer, Katerina Lvovna fell silent again and went on looking up at the sky through the pale pink apple blossom. Sergei was silent too. The sky, however, was of no interest to him. With both his arms flung round his knees, he was staring down at his boots. The night was golden. Silence, light, delicate perfumes, and a benign, enlivening warmth. Beyond the ravine at the end of the orchard, someone began singing in a resonant voice. In the dense bird-cherry thicket by the fence, a nightingale trilled and burst into loud song. In a cage on a tall pole, a quail gave voice to its drowsy delirium. A sleek horse let out a lazy sigh from the other side of the stable wall. And a boisterous pack of dogs tore soundlessly across the pasture land beyond the fence, vanishing into the shapeless black shadow of the derelict salt warehouses. Katerina Lvovna raised herself up on one elbow and looked at the tall orchard grass. 
The grass seemed to be playing with the light of the moon as it was filtered through the leaves and flowers of the apple trees. Capricious spots of light were turning the grass to gold, quivering and flickering over it like living butterflies of fire. Or perhaps the grass under the trees had been caught in a net dropped by the moon and was being tossed from side to side. Oh, Seryozha, my darling, how lovely it all is, said Katrina Lvovna. Sergei looked around with indifference. What's the matter, Sergei? Why so gloomy? Are you tired of my love already? Don't be silly, said Sergei. Bending over her, he gave Katrina Lvovna a casual kiss. You're a deceiver, Seryozha, said Katrina Lvovna. You're not to be trusted. You must be talking about some other man. Sergei replied calmly. Then why did you kiss me like that? Sergei said nothing. It's husbands and wives who kiss like that, Katrina Lvovna went on, playing with his curls. And they do it to brush the dust off one another's lips. When you kiss me, I want you to kiss me so it makes the new blossom fall to the ground from this tree. Yes, like this, she whispered twining herself round her lover and kissing him passionately. So things carry on, remaining out of kilter for some time. And um, eventually Sergei explains that he's gloomy because he's so miserable thinking how terrible things will be when the husband returns. And Katrina is pleased that he's jealous and sharing his feelings, as she imagines. And he carries on with this mad eloquence of his. It was actually a very carefully thought-out eloquence. But let me say once more, Sergei began again, gently freeing his head from Katrina Lvovna's arms, which were bare to the shoulders. Let me say once more that this lowly station of mine causes me to think many thoughts, and I think these thoughts not just once, and not just a dozen times. Yes, let me say, Katrina Lvovna, that were I your equal, were I some merchant or landowner, then I would never, no, never in my life be parted from you. But you know very well, you know what my standing is compared to your own. Soon I shall see a man take you by your white hands and lead you into your bedroom, and my poor heart will have to endure this, and perhaps it will make me despise myself for the rest of my days, Katrina Lvovna. I'm not like those other fellows who don't care about anything if only they can have their way with a woman. I know what love is, and I can feel it sucking away at my heart like a black snake. And um, Katerina Lvovna is both delighted and actually genuinely feels sorry for Sergei at this point. He makes it... He goes on more and more about how he would like to marry her. Katerina Lvovna was stupefied by these words of Sergei. 
by this jealousy of his and his desire to marry her. A desire that always pleases a woman, however intimate her relations with a man have already been. Katrina Lvovna was now ready to follow Sergei through hell and high water, to prison or cross. He had so enthralled her that her devotion to him was absolute. She was mad with happiness. Her blood was on fire and she could no longer go on listening. She quickly pressed the palm of one hand against his lips, held his head to her breast and said, I know very well how to make a merchant of you and live with you as right as is right and proper. Only please don't upset me for nothing. There are bridges to cross, but there's still a long way ahead. And it was back to kisses and caresses. In the silence of night, through his heavy slumber, the old steward in the nearby barn heard whispers and quiet giggles, as if naughty children were plotting how best to make fun of frail, decrepit old age. Then came gay, ringing laughter, as if someone were being tickled by water nymphs from the lake. Splashing in and out of the moonlight, rolling about on the soft carpet, Katrina Lvovna was frolicking with her husband's young steward. Fresh white blossom from the curly-headed apple tree rained down on them, but in the end this rain ceased. The short summer night was passing. The moon had hidden behind the steep roofs of the high granaries, and turning ever dimmer, it was now looking askance at the earth. Then there was a piercing duet from above the kitchen, followed by spitting, hissing, and a great racket as two or perhaps three cats rolled off the roof and onto the pile of timber stacked against the wall. Let's go and sleep now, Katrina Lvovna said slowly, as if worn out and battered. She got herself up off the carpet, and, just as she was, in her shift and white petticoat, walked through the deathly silence of the yard. Walking behind her, Sergei was carrying the carpet and the blouse she had playfully thrown off. So Katrina Lvovna has more dreams about the cat, who then seems to become confused with the murdered father-in-law and starts talking to her in the voice of the father-in-law. Um, they've made no attempt to conceal anything, so word of their affair has, of course, got around and um, reached the husband, who tries to come home stealthily in the middle of the night and catch them. Um, but they, she hears him coming, and there isn't really anything to be done except to murder him too. And um, so all this spirals on um, 
a related child who is the potential heir to the estate also ends up having to be murdered. And um, eventually they get sent off to Siberia. And um, I think the closing chapter, The Road to Siberia, is um, another extraordinarily powerful piece of writing. Um, Sergei has got, by this point, got fed up with Katerina. Katerina is kind of any money she's able to beg from passers-by as this sort of regiment of convicts marches down these, this endless road. Um, any money she's able to get, she uses to bribe the guards for a night with Sergei. Um, but Sergei is actually sleeping with other female convicts and um, eventually just starts mocking her um, together with this sort of bitchy young girl called Sonetka. And um, things get to a head when um, Sergei starts complaining about his legs aching, that you know, the shackles have rubbed all the skin off his legs, and um, if only he had a nice pair of warm stockings. So um, Katerina rushes off and fetches her pair of warm stockings, gives them to him, and the next morning she sees the warm stockings on the legs, not of Sergei, but of Sanetka. So um, she flies at Sergei, spits at him and abuses him. Um, he and another man whip her the following night. And then the final scene, they leave the sort of little transit prison back onto the road. I think one of the remarkable qualities of Leskov is how many different gifts he has. I mean, some of his other work um, is tremendously clever and, as I've said, very, very... It's a sort of verbal patterning that is what makes it most enjoyable. Um, here you've got, throughout this work, a, a whole string of scenes that I've talked about as being operatic, but they're also very, very painterly. You know, tremendously vivid visually. A joyless picture. A handful of people torn from the world and deprived of any last shadow of hope, sinking into the cold black mud of a dirt road. Everything round about is ugly and terrible. Infinite mud, a grey sky, wet leafless willows with sullen crows perched on their spreading branches. The wind howls and gusts, moans and rages. These hellish, heart-rending sounds 
complete the horror of the scene. In them echoes the advice given by Job, given to Job by his wife. Curse the day that thou wast born and die. Those who do not wish to hear the meaning of these words, those who, even amid such sorrow, are frightened rather than charmed by the thought of death, must do what they can to drown out these howling voices with something still more hideous. The simple man understands this only too well, giving free rein to all his brutish simplicity, he plays the fool. He jeers at himself, he jeers at others, he jeers at every emotion. Never noted for tenderness, at moments like this he becomes especially evil. So Sergei and this young Sonetka kiss in front of Katerina Lvovna and sort of jeer at her. Katerina Lvovna saw everything and saw nothing. She might have been no longer alive. People nudged her, remarking on the way Sergei was carrying on with Sonetka. Katerina Lvovna had become a laughingstock. Leave her alone, Fiona kept saying, doing her best to defend the stumbling Katerina Lvovna whenever one of the convicts poked fun at her. The woman's ill. Can't you see, you devils? Must have got her tootsies wet, joked a young convict. She had a delicate upbringing, said Sergei. She's from a merchant family. Now, if only she had a pair of warm stockings, he went on. She'd be all right. The weather got worse and worse. Wet flakes of snow fell from the grey clouds covering the sky. Melting as they touched the ground, they made the mud still deeper and more impassable. At last, a dark leaden band came into view. Beyond it, nothing could be made out at all. This was the Volga. A stiff wind was blowing across the river. Dark, gaping waves slowly rose and fell. The wind drove them this way and that way. So the ferry starts to cross the river. The jeering continues. Katrina Lvovna has these sort of visions in the waves. She's gazing apparently mindlessly at the waves and she imagines or she sees the figures of the husband and the father-in-law and the murdered child suddenly she began to rock and sway Without taking her eyes off the dark waves, she seized Sonetka by the legs and in a single movement leapt overboard, taking Sonetka with her.
Everyone froze in astonishment. Katsuyu Novovna appeared on the crest of a wave, then disappeared. Another wave revealed Sonietka. A boat hook! Throw them a boat hook! people shouted. A heavy boat hook flew out on a long rope and fell into the water. Sonietka disappeared. A few seconds later, as the current swept her away from the ferry, she flung her arms up in the air again. But just then, Katsrina Lvovna appeared from another wave, rose almost waist high above the water, and flung herself at Sonietka like a powerful pike attacking a roach. Neither of them was seen again. Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 